if I get connected to objective reality and do not, or, or I guess, and I resist the natural temptation to want to preserve myself, if I just decide I don't need to be preserved, that I'm going to miss the mark, I'm going to fail, whatever you want to call that. And it's a part of, if you're a leader and you can't do that, you create a whole culture of scarcity. So people can't fail in public. So they fail in private and then cover themselves up. Nobody gets to learn. Do you fear failure? What does failure mean to you? Are you failing now? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sit down to talk about failure. How fun. It's the thing we fear, despise, avoid, and hide. It can be what motivates us, and it can be what paralyzes us. Ultimately, it's what makes us or breaks us. But have you ever stopped to think about exactly what failure is to you and how you relate to it? And have you ever wondered if you could relate to it in a new way? In this conversation, we offer an understanding of what failure is and an opportunity to choose a new way to relate to it. Let's dive in. We've got some failure to talk about. As Dan, as you so me? beautifully alluded to in our last conversation, uh, you know, I want to I want to have a conversation about our relationship to failure. I think the most natural place for me to start, as I typically do, is I want to get clear on what we mean by failure. This is another idea that we use so often in our language, and everybody's meaning something different. Everybody's relating to it different, so we can get some we can get some grounding right now in what it is that we're talking about when we talk about failure. What do most people mean when they talk about failure? So Thomas Edison said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Yep. The light bulb. Now that's, that's interesting. And I think that's a very interesting context for the setup of this conversation, which is, (laughs) this is going to get real philosophical. Is there such thing as failure? Uh, I would say yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yep. Tell we me. Don't, yeah. Well, we don't usually get to the conversation about failure because as human beings, we're, we tend to, to be a lot more fragile than we want to admit. And mm-hmm. so the concept of failure uh, rarely stays outside of our skin and we absorb it so quickly. And we're so, I mean, we're, we're very prone as a species to, we, I guess we know, we know in some regard that if I am a failure, I'll be rejected or we fear that if I'm a failure, I'll be rejected. So we spend a lot of time and energy avoiding external failure for what it might mean for us internally and like a shame type conversation, like I am a failure or, or someone else's judgment, they think I'm a failure, which typically quickly translate to, I think I'm a failure as well. And how, how do I know who I am? If they think I'm a failure, I am. And, you know, that's despairing for most folks. So, and some people will spend the rest of their lives trying to prove to some person, something, some entity, some culture, some whatever, um, that they're not a failure. So all that to say as a preamble, 
we typically are so psychologically tied and and it's so significant to us internally this idea of failure we barely get close to it we can't even get to what thomas edison yep not ben franklin thomas edison's talking about we can't really get to that <laughs> because um we as a species are so in, we internalize like we are what we're doing we are what we've mm-hmm. done we are what we have well mm-hmm. anthropologically that's burnt into us because the you know if you watch that movie alone that television show you see the power of having a tribe because by yourself in the wilderness it is almost certain you're not going to make it in certain environments yeah. With a, with, a, with a tribe, though, you do. And so, neurologically, we've developed, and this, this is not, this is actually neuroscience, but the point is... This is the doctrine according to Dan. Yeah, this is the This is Dan's kindergarten version of what I read about in <laughs> research papers I've read. And it goes like this. I'm not reacting to you. I'm reacting to who I think you think I am. And that's a direct relation. That's a direct, they believe, evolution of being a herd animal. I need to know what you think I, who I, you think I am, so I know that you're going to be there to get my back. You know, in the herd, and so we are all. We tend to respond to who we think other people think we are. So if I'm aware that that's going on, I can disintermediate that. And and actually take and then begin to think about, okay, what's really going on here, and how do I correct what I want to have happen? Because if I fail, and I don't want to be excluded from the herd, I don't want you to know about the failure. <laughs> to Adrian's point, because I'm afraid that you'll think who I think you'll think I am is not acceptable, and I'm out. Yeah, yeah. and if you, if anyone wants to Google that, that's Cooley called the looking glass self there we go thank you i read that that study it's pretty actually there's a study that goes behind that so i want to go back to my original question because you guys no, Chad. You, you jumped no. in and there's there's some beautiful things here but you're still using this term fail or failure and i'm not quite sure what we're talking about because if edison says he only found ten thousand ways that didn't work those weren't failures well, what is a failure those were failures. They failed because he didn't accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Now, the way he relates to the failure is as a lesson, not a sentence. Got it. Right? It's a lesson, and and I think you know, obviously, he's smart. He's putting, in, he's keeping himself in the game. That's generating a a, a narrative that helps him get closer to what he needs to look at. So Man. the failure is my way through. That obstacle is my way to find what's wanted and needed. So I get what he's saying. It The failure is an invitation to the future. But it is a failure because the intention is to produce the light bulb. And he can see that failure as, okay, I'm one step closer. If he's, and I've done it 10,000 different ways, so I'm narrowing down what it's going to take to do it. So can failure only exist if there's an aim or a clear aim? Yeah. Well, in my book, yeah, because you have to have a hierarchy of concerns. 
if you don't have a name, then you have no hierarchy. You have no idea that you're missing anything because there's nothing intended except yeah. for just feeling good. And then if you don't feel good, that's a failure. That's your, that was your aim, was to feel that was good. You, you yeah. mean, I mean, it's kind of to Jordan Peterson's point, you always have an aim. And you yeah. can become aware of what the aim is, is when you're disappointed. Well, yeah. I mean, I, in, an, in an ideal sense, if you're looking for uh, effectiveness, maybe that's the right word, or usefulness is probably the better word, is you want to know if it's a failure or not. And in order to, to know if it's a failure or not, you need to have some kind of objective measure. Mm-hmm. Now, if you you could also live without having an objective measure, and you'll be you you will experience failure. You just it takes longer to find it, and so you pay more in penalties and interest because you know you weren't paying attention. We were just talking bef- on the break here, or before we started recording, around parenting, and you're asking about taking my kid to Legoland, yeah. and and I'm it, I was it was actually very convicting the trip to Legoland because it, I revealed how unconscious I've been to what it takes to break through to my daughter. Easy, easy to engage with my son, my nine-year-old boy, really easy. Um, and I saw just because it was just she and I together, her and I, me and her, whatever, just she and I together. And man, I was like a duck out of water when it's just me and her. It's like, how do I generate a positive, pleasant, collaborative, fun experience. It's not as easy for me with her just because of some of my framework, some of her framework and how she operates and how I operate and how different worlds, you know, whenever she goes to Legoland, she's just very, she wants to go in the playgrounds the whole time. And I'm like, no, no, there's playgrounds next to our house. No, no, we're here to ride the roller coasters. (laughs) This is what we don't have access to every day. And she doesn't care. She wants to go do the slide. I'm like, we have slides. Slides are easy. I didn't pay this much money for a freaking slide. This is where I'm in my head. What are you talking about? No, we're not going back there again. Are the stupid teacups? We're doing the teacups? No, no. Anyway, all that to say is it gave me, it gave me the opportunity to see where I'm failing as a dad. Now people are going to say, oh, you're not a failure. No, no, no. I want to see it that way. Like, how am I missing the mark? Yeah. The mark that I have for myself, not that anybody else has for me, the mark that I have for myself. And the trust and the camaraderie I want with my kids. So that was a gift to me. And I felt like, honestly, after Legoland, I felt like a failure by how I responded. I was like, a, I was irritable at times during the day. I was uh, controlling. I, you know, was uh, impatient. All these things are just feedback for me in the moment. And what a gift. And if I saw certain moments in time, it's like I was failing based on the standard I have for myself. I was failing. And what a gift. But that's a, back to the point of this conversation, I have an aim and part of how I'm with my kids and my mood with my kids is my aim and who I want them to experience me to be. So if I hadn't had that, which was a very concentrated experience, I would have floated probably for another, I don't know, I don't know how long I would have floated without seeing how I can be with her and how I resist how she is. While on the other hand, I really celebrate how she is. But, uh, but man, when it comes to just hand-to-hand combat, man, I resist it. And that's a gift to me. So it's like if we don't have a name, we pay the price. It just takes longer to pay the price. If we have a name, yeah. it reveals to us 
what's wanted, needed, what's been missing in the short term. Yeah, well, and for the founders and for business leaders and executives, the, the idea of this, you live in a world and a culture of sophists as well. So that's another level of pain. A sophist is someone who uses language to confuse these values and to justify the lack of performance, to justify the lack of of, of becoming what you say or who you said you're committed committed to become with each other. So, mm-hmm. in other words, all kinds of sophisticated. That's what the word sophist. You sophisticate like, oh, it's not failure. You're, here's your participation trophy making you feel good about how far you went versus not personalizing, not taking it into your identity, the failure, but letting the lack of having what you want, like the cat in the room, sit on your chest. That helps you go towards what's wanted and needed, to understand what's wanted and needed, to actually get to the original aim. Not to justify and lower the bar, but to you know, kind of bring the tension up internally because it's good for you. There's a certain amount of tension that's good for you that drives you back into the process. Yes. And that, that take, that's something you have to train yourself to do because the culture's committed to currently training us out of that, yeah. that edge. And, and, you yeah. know, that, and that edge usually comes up when there's a crisis. All of a sudden there's a crisis and we're, we're reminded, oh, yes, there is failure. And this failure could mean that I lose, you know, this, that, whatever. And when I get in touch with that, I'm motivated to go, okay, now what do we do to accomplish this? What is it we really want? Because a lot of times when somebody loses something, finally, when it's too late, when the failure ultimately takes away something they really desire, I found that they're willing to ask, well, what is it I really want? Because they're feeling the loss. Mm-hmm. Now, I, if as a leader, I can keep the promise of the cheese, the future we want, in the same space with the cat, the one, the thing that could eat us up, then we've got a good tension. And that, that's, that's what it takes. If you listen to any great athlete, I love listening to great athletes because they have a sense of what's at stake while they're going after what they desire. And they know that if they don't, get out and do the things necessary to win, stay in shape there. If it's a boxer, they're going to get beat to death. If it's, you know, if they're a runner, they're going to get smoked, you know, somebody's Uh going to beat them and they're going to lose, they're going to lose all the years of preparation in that moment. And they have to start all over again. Like to, to really let that sit with you will intensify the moment that you're in, in order to really understand what's wanted and needed. And I, I, I really, I, I think, we, you know, we are so comfortable at times in our culture that we like to think that things don't have to get difficult or messy when they literally, you know, Do. being uncomfortable. Yeah, they need to. That's yeah. where it's going to draw stuff out of me that I didn't know I had if I allow myself to live in that tension. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now, that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, 
Wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate? What's effective and what's ineffective? What your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Adrian, you pointed out a distinction that I think is really powerful. Um, You kind of brushed past it, so I wanted to put put a pin in it, which is, you know, where am I failing versus I am a failure? Yeah. You know, and Dan, that's, you know, that I am statement is where you take it into your identity. That's where, and and that's, look, that's just a, for those of you listening, that's just a tactic. That's a strategy to take you out of the game or to make an, you know, create an excuse for going, not going again or whatever that is. Right. So to to be able the racket, the shame racket. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Off the hook, I can get out of the tension. That's right. I can relieve myself of the tension of what it's going to take to go again and actually create results next time if I just convince myself that I am a failure rather than there are failures happening, right? Where, where, and to ask the question, where am I failing in the, and, and see that as an opportunity. And that's the only thing, Dan, what I hear you saying is that's the only thing that it's going to produce what's next for us. Like, that's that's that tension is the only thing that's, that's going to drive us towards what we didn't even think was possible for ourselves, for our teams, for our families. Well, yeah, and and the idea that I know what's possible for me, from me, like like the idea that I know what I'm made of is ridiculous because I don't. I find out what I'm made of in that tension. Yeah, and and what I like to do is go in and though say like I'll never forget when I was about. 11 years old, I was taking boxing lessons and this guy punched me in the nose. He's like 14, punched me in the nose. My nose started bleeding. I was crying and I can't, I'm bleeding. And the coach said, fight him with the blood. Get in there and you don't find out. And I thought, I can't, I, I don't have it. He goes, you don't know what you have till you get in there and try. And I got in there and fought. And then when I was done, even though I lost, I felt good about it because I, I, re- I found something in me I never knew was there. I didn't know I could do it. I didn't know I could, you know, I thought I was completely, oh my God, my nose is bleeding. I'm going to die. Yeah. 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 Reminds me of marriage a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I put this in the context of leadership, obviously, because that's, that's the context that we're in is like, how do we care? How do we truly care for people? Dan, you talked about trying to soften or maybe it was Adrian, maybe it was both of you. Yeah, whoever it was was brilliant. Um, 
trying to probably soften Dan. Probably Dan. the blow. Let's just say it's Dan. Try, yeah. <laughs> trying to soften the blow of the failure. Or, you know, or or make it okay or make it all better for somebody. Oh, the sophist, yeah, the sophist is going to use language yeah. to try to well, make it okay. To really care for somebody is to be in failure with them, right? And Not help them face it with the same kind of like, let it sit on you. Let it sit. Let it, let it drive you into the forensics, the understanding of what's wanted and needed. Yeah. We rarely Adrian, do. Adrian, you were going to say something. Um, well, to add to what you're saying is, as a leader, I mean, a little bit, uh, you know, recently we recorded a podcast where, you know, we're doing all these live coaching. And um, you've probably listened to it if you're listening to this one, where this woman had, had made a jump into she left the land that she knew she left the company she knew she left the role that she knew that she was really great at and now she's um in a whole new role new company larger level of responsibility and she was spending her time for nine months she was spending her time playing confused and she said on the call i don't know what people expect of me now i knew she was lying when she said that um What's what's hidden in that statement is, I don't know and I can't know, because she's really smart and she could go find out what people expect. That's like a question. That's an email. That's a ten second question. So she didn't want to know what was expected. Why? Um, handful of reasons probably. Like, it, could she? Was she up for it? Could she do it? And so she's spending her time really being confused about how bad yeah. she was really. You know, it's safer to act confused than to be convicted. And, you know, if I choose to be convicted, um, then there's a lot more power, a lot more possibility in that. Like, go ahead and just let myself fail. If am, am I missing the mark is a safer spot to be at, then how am I missing the mark? But there's a lot more power. It's like if I just assume that I'm a mixed bag, there's going to be times in which I deliver, there's times in which I don't. And if I want to know both of those, it takes... Humility to know both of those. How am I winning and how am I not winning or how am I failing? And that takes humility to, to play both sides of that. Um, and if I'm willing to do that, then I actually have, there's nothing in current reality that uh, is an indictment on, on who I am as a person. It's just all, that's why, who was it, Edison? He said 10,000 times, I've missed the mark or I've failed. Or he said, I haven't failed, right? I've just... What was the yeah. sorry? What was the quote? It was it, it it was I've not failed. I've just found ten thousand ways that don't work. That's and he's great. Right. He has he has not failed at the ultimate goal. All right, he right. Fails the ultimate goal when you give up, right? That's right. right. Yeah. So there's an assumption based into what he's saying, which is like I'll fail when I quit. That's what probably what failure looked like to him. When I actually give up the game, that's when I failed. If I continue to play yeah. this game. And I and the speed at which he can fail or he can like find what didn't work, that's winning for him because he's looking to actually get the thing done. Um, so it's not like he's being all Navy Pamby and like you know participant metal. He's just clear. I'm here to get this thing done. So ten thousand times not getting it done is great. I'm one closer. It's like we deal with, you know, we coach a lot of salespeople, you know, and I'll usually just tell them, hey, go get ten no's this week. 
What? No, it's hard. This level of rejection. I know. I know it's hard. It's hard because it's not common to you. But if you bake rejection into it, into your lifestyle, I'm going to, it's not like you're getting rejected. They don't want what you're selling. No big deal. It's not for them. It's for somebody else. So you got to go find the person that wants, but you could personalize it so you can avoid it or you can depersonalize it and you can just keep engaging until it works. So that was a handful of things I was just thinking about as you're sharing here. Um, but like if, if I get connected to objective reality and do not, or, or I guess, and I resist the natural temptation to want to preserve myself, if I just decide I don't need to be preserved, that I'm going to miss the mark, I'm going to fail, whatever you want to call that. And it's a part of, um, if you're a leader and you, and you can't do that, you create a whole culture of scarcity so people can't fail in public so they fail in private and then cover themselves up but you decrease nobody gets to learn nobody learns nobody gets to learn so how did you know that's where i wanted to go next literally right here what is written on my notebook how to talk or when and how to talk about talk about your failures with your team yeah you know because because we're all human we all partake in the sacrament of failure Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, and we can see when failure is coming. You know, you know, it's like that's the other thing. You can call a failure early. You can say, "Oh, it's going to fail." Yeah, 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 yeah. We just did yeah. that, right? Adrian and I just had a conversation about, "Hey, we've got to, we got to up our game here because things are happening faster than we are able to accommodate." And if we don't, we're going to fail at at getting hold of the opportunity that's before us. Mm-hmm. So you can call it beforehand. You can go. Oh shit! This failure is coming next if yes. we don't make a shift. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I think you know it's really common, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. But it's worth having a conversation around again. Is leadership? A lot of leaders or a lot of people in leadership positions or with titles believe that their job is to protect their people from the failures that are happening either in the company or from them as leaders themselves, and. You know, that as you already started talking about, that teaches people in a culture that failure can't happen here. At least we can't talk about the failure that happens here. Right. Yeah. The well that would be that's a culture of entitlement, basically. What do you mean? Well, I'm entitled to what I'm aiming at. And if I don't get it, <laughs> worry, I'm gonna get it because it's gonna come to me somehow. And it's that fantasy you know, there is no failure. It, 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 um, and if you ever been around a spoiled kid? A couple times, yeah. That, that's what uh-huh. entitlement is. I've got three of them. No, I'm just kidding. You know, we've, all, we've all got a spoiled kid in us somewhere. We've all experienced <laughs> But, you, you know, when you're around somebody who's spoiled, uh, they're pissed off because they're not getting what they, de- what they think they deserve. And they're not interested in finding out how to get it. They just deserve it. Uh-huh. And that attitude is is probably one of the most destructive attitudes that you can, because the child or the person, it's childish, right? And so the person doesn't ever progress or evolve because, or they evolve very slowly because the lessons are hard, long coming, hard and long coming. Mm. Because they fight and kick and scratch about what they deserve and, and, there's all kinds of strategies to try to get the world, the universe, to give it to them. 
Uh-huh. And sometimes they find caretakers, people who are willing to give it to them for a while. And then those people usually get exhausted and then they get left and see what I, I just can't believe the world teaches treats me this way, right? It's that that mindset, that entitlement mindset. And it takes humility. You know, learning introduces the team to humility. So I'm to me, the time to bring a failure to the team is as soon as you see it coming. Not you know, it's like <laughs> Because think about the pain of not, like I see a failure coming and I don't say anything because I want to preserve you or I want to preserve myself from your disapproval of what is coming or whatever. Or or preserve our trust, quote yes. unquote. I, yeah. I want trust. Whatever the story I'm telling myself is, what's going to happen? Well, eventually you're going to find out that it's failing because you're required in the solution. So if I don't marshal you to the solution, I'm going to increase the weight on me because now I have to make the solution so you don't see the failure. I have to find the solution. And now I'm going to be resentful towards you because I can't, I, in my mind, can't tell you and you're going to be expecting things that ought to come your way because of the success or what you're entitled to, and you don't even know you're, it's going to come off like entitlement to me when, in fact, I'm the one withholding the information. And then I become a little bitch. And, <laughs> and, and you wonder why I'm so passive-aggressive. And I'm wondering why I'm so passive-aggressive. But I'm carrying the weight that should be on your shoulders because you're part of the team, and I can't tell the team. Or I won't yep. tell the team, let's just put it that way. And so I'm building tension on myself. So now I become less and less resourceful to the very people who can get it done. Yeah. Which uh, not only have I participated in in my business leadership, but I'm also seeing where I participate in this in my marriage and my fatherhood. Yeah. And the all the shit that I can make up about being a failure there. Being the ultimate, that's the ultimate team too you think about it yeah yeah totally totally yep yeah, but but, it, it, I mean if you think about it leadership I mean, the more we've talked about this in the last two episodes so much of leadership is crafting a narrative to help hold people together in the process like we can like having people see what the possibility is when we work together when there's nothing wrong, bad, or broken, it's just what we have in front of us. And this is how can we have this work together for what we're ultimately after? Like that is really a challenge. And that uh-huh. takes some brain trust. It requires not just laying in bed at night thinking about it, but researching, inviting people into the conversation. You know, one of the reasons we had the meeting yesterday was Adrian and I were telling them, basically, hey, we're, we're stuck. We see stuckness coming. Stuck meaning if we don't, what we're what we've done to get here, which has been great, won't get us to where we want to go. So if we get too preoccupied with patting ourselves on the back, next month or next year we're going to be going, what the hell's wrong? Why do we got to let certain people go, etc.? Because we're taking a bigger chunk. Mm-hmm. And, and going to the team, like just asking you for what you came up with, was so powerful for what's next for us, right? There's a resource of people there. I mean, remember in the conversation, I, 
I thought I knew what I wanted to do. And Mark corrected me. I was like, oh, never thought about that. Thank you. Right. It's like, I want to get to where we're committed to going. And then if we can get transparent, then we can get, we can start to access the wisdom at, of the other eyes at the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that takes, I think we've worked hard to get that, to get there, to get to that kind of relationship. But I think that takes a conscious, intentional effort because unconsciously we drift to protecting ourselves and go to survival. Absolutely. Yeah, I would I, I would concur that you actually don't get there. It's a constant happening. It's a constant right. decision. You show up there over and over again. But to mm-hmm. your point, when do you bring it? You bring it to them. You bring it when you see it, and then you have to think about how do I prepare this to invite people into it like a possibility. Yeah, is that you know you don't just throw the problem on the table. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Adrian and I must have spent an hour and a half on the phone the night before the meeting. It's like, hey, look, we got to get this on the table, man. How do we get this on the table so it's inviting? Of course, yeah. yeah and and uh, Dan, I would say, piggybacking off of what you're talking about, take it to the team as soon as you want some resources around it. Yeah, right, exactly. How long you want to carry this? <laughs> yeah, just know it's going to get heavier and heavier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right on. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Such a great conversation. So much to take away from this. Uh, the, the opportunity of failure uh, and how we relate to it. And, you know, I don't know. Just great stuff for me. Yeah. Thanks, Ben, for thinking of these stirring this pot, man. Yeah, of course. Awesome. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Ciao. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.